This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma, and today we welcome Preet Bharara to Chinway. An amazing man, an amazing man I got to know personally, a funny man, smart man, and a handsome man. <laughs> known for his good looks Indeed. around the federal government, he's better known as the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And he is currently situated as a partner at the law firm Wilmerhale, which sounds kind of like the name of a Scottish castle. It does. Yeah, maybe actually, you know, the law firm operates out of a Scottish castle. I don't know. I'm going to change my name to Bob Wilmerhale. <laughs> I think that's Chinwag with Bob Wilmerhale. How's that sound? It's compelling. It's good, right? That's going to pull people in. Preet recently authored a memoir titled Doing Justice, and he hosts a podcast called Stay Tuned with Preet. Stay tuned uh, with us to hear us talk with Preet about the new name for UFOs, unspeakable acts performed on chickens, and why the law is like a sonnet. Let us count the ways. Just brilliant, Professor Shakespeare. (laughs) Welcome, Preet. Hello, sir. So I get asked about you from time to time Uh because of this role you play. And you know what I like to tell people? Oh, yeah. That when we had dinner and I said, let's order some wine. Uh You're like, yeah, what do you recommend? I don't know anything about wine. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, that was... You were yeah, in sure. sideways. No, no, I know. I remember that. And I you remember, remember also... Yeah, but I also remember you're telling the story totally accurately because you said, you said, let's order something to drink. And I said, yeah, I don't think... Because I was a little under the weather. I said, I don't think I want to drink. And you were like, you what did. the fuck is wrong with you? Have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay, sure. We'll order some wine. And I said, I have no idea what kind of wine. It was Merlot, right? But uh-huh. it was not, yeah. But I learned something. Like, if I if I was having a drink with like uh, the guy who played Superman or anybody, like I would understand if they said, you know, I don't fly. <laughs> but on with you, I'm like, that's a mortal. Like, how are you not a super expert? That's interesting. Like, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have occurred to me after you played multiple seasons and billions that you could try a case. Right? Like it wouldn't. But something about the fact I was a little bit disappointed in you. That's I, interesting. I, I was disappointed. That's interesting. Because maybe it's because you were so credible as a wine expert. That See, but that's interesting. That's interesting to me. It really is. Because it's like that in particular, why that in particular? And not that I could because I don't we know. know I haven't we know that an actor hasn't gone to law school. We know that an actor doesn't know how to box or whatever, actually. Yeah. But we but it's plausible that this guy would know a lot about wine. Yeah, and you kind of sold like I haven't had a Merlot since that movie. 
Well, it was a big disaster. <laughs> yeah, didn't the sales drop off or something? After they that? did. That's my favorite fact. From- Catastrophically, they dropped off. Think, you know, I didn't really take any notes. I didn't brainstorm much. But the one, no. the one word I have on my, my little sheet that I thought would be interesting to talk about, and, and Stephen, you read my mind because there's some connection oh. we have. Little, vengeance, oh. be- vengeance, because I was watching Bill Maher, as I sometimes do, and he ended his program... And it just made me think with with you know addressing the issue of guns and saying, you know, whether you're liberal or or a conservative, you have to acknowledge, I don't know that I agree with this, but you have to acknowledge that movies play some role and there are some people whose minds are are you know functioning in such a way that they are enticed to commit acts of violence. I like violent movies. I never killed anybody mm-hmm. that I would certainly admit to you in this program. <laughs> but he talks about and he has this, he has this like montage of movie titles that have the word vengeance in them mm-hmm. and how how much vengeance sells and how much, you know, the, the plots of some of the great movies that people are addicted to, including Kill Bill and others. Yeah. And I, I started thinking about that because I'm a guy, I love those movies. Mm-hmm. And my entire career has been about rule of law, not just vigilantism and vengeance. And yet I love me a vengeance movie. What's going on there? That's your old brain. That's your reptile brain coming in. <laughs> a reptile brain. That's why I uh, Tar- Tarantino's movies, I know they're artistically great, but I can't enjoy them because they're all revenge fantasies. They're all sort of revised history where, you know. So you're more evolved than I am. So you, you, have, you have outgrown your reptilian DNA? No, I still enjoy <laughs> it, but I, I feel like you, you can't hit the same note over and over again. And, uh, so, and it's harder to make um, more emotionally complicated stories. And vengeance, yeah. I think, is just an easy... It's the low-hanging fruit, I think. You know what I keep thinking as we're talking about this? What the animation of this particular segment is going to look like. <laughs> dude, dude. Like, I would ra- Hopefully, yeah. Make me, make me an alligator. Yeah, whatever you want, man. Oh, definitely, dude. We'll make you anything you want to be, man. Not like a but, gecko. But here, here, watch what I'm about to do. Since we're talking about reptilian brains, can we talk about reptile people coming down from UFOs, the reptilian people that yes. run this country? They're not called that anymore. They're not. They're called UAPs. What does that stand for? Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And that's what they call them. That's not an important I know. Part. That's But that's my question, too. Why did they change it? This is the thing. I watched those hearings. Did you watch yeah. those hearings? No, so, but I read about about them. I didn't, watch, I didn't watch it because I knew you would summarize them for me. <laughs> no, they didn't really talk about much. But oh. what was great to me was watching guys like Adam Schiff and, and Marco Rubio talking about like glowing red orbs and stuff like that. And I was like, it's amazing, though, to hear those guys talking about this stuff. Well, do and you I believe that. Do you believe that I, I am perfectly prepared to believe that they are that there are things like that? Yes. Because, I don't know, there's crazier shit. Have you seen some of the things that live at the bottom of the ocean? I mean, I don't know. True. No, that's exactly right, though. Because it's like, yeah. You know it's crazier than a UFO? That an insect becomes a butterfly. I, mean, I don't know. There's crazy, there's crazy stuff. Yeah, we're there are birds. There are birds that could imitate this conversation. I find that to be incredibly crazy. Actually, almost crazier in a weird way. Yeah. That stuff can happen. No, and the fact of the matter is it's not like they're saying it's necessarily aliens. It's just something they don't know about is flying around up there. And so that's what, you know, and it's like, that's all it really is. That's all it really amounts to. Can I ask you the global, the globally important question? Please. Um, if, if we did have a threat from aliens, would the world band together or would it be, would we react like we reacted to COVID? 
Right. Or would it be like indifferently, like we wouldn't care? No. I mean, I guess I, I didn't see that film that everybody uh, saw that some people liked, some people didn't like, um, Don't Look Up. Yeah, I didn't see that. Just the allegory of of how... Climate change. We would deal with climate change, but but it's but analogizing it to how we would deal with, a, I guess, an asteroid. Yeah. Do we become tribal? Is that what happens? People become tribal in that movie? Are they... I felt like I haven't seen it, so maybe we should... No, but I think what actually the point of that movie is that people are indifferent to it, which is what I feel like. Oh, yeah, no, that's different. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, which is actually yeah. what I feel like is happening with this now is that actually yeah. the shocking thing to me is nobody seems to give a shit at all, which is kind of. UAPs? Yeah, nobody seems to care. I mean, literally guys like Adam Schiff and you probably know him. Do you know I him? Do. I do. And he's a pretty serious guy. And that's the thing. You think he's he's sitting there being serious about this. He's right? not, I mean, I he's not cracking the jokes on a regular basis. No, so, so it's so he's not a funny guy like you. Really, he doesn't seem like. I don't it. mean he's not funny, and I don't want him to see this. But he's he's a, he's a very he's a very earnest member of the Congress. So that's what I mean. A guy like that is sitting there saying that he believes in this stuff, and nobody cares, and then people are completely indifferent to it, which makes me it was kind of amazing to me. That it's like that it, it, this it, this is kind of shocking. I mean, that literally people are sitting there saying they're admitting that that there's yeah, no stuff explanation. That, there's yeah, no but, explanation. Uh, so for I'm stuff. deeply interested. I'm deeply interested in. It. I have been since I was a kid. And UFOs. Yeah, I read a lot of science fiction. Like my diet of reading was science fiction when I was really? um, growing up. But what stymies me is. Like, there's not much more I can, like, I, I guess I could watch a hearing and I could hear what evidence there is, but it's limited. Yeah. Like, you can, I think you can digest, maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I don't know if everything that's known and that's interesting about UFOs or UAPs, whatever they're called, could even fill a New Yorker article. Well, it's I think like, we have no explanation. And then now what? Then, we'll, okay, let's, now let's have a beer. Like, I don't, then what? Well, how about this, though? Like, I, I used to be very skeptical and think this stuff is just, it's Roswell, it's wishful thinking, there's nothing to it. Yeah. But then, like, this recent uh, data that's come through the Navy and now NASA's getting involved, and there's, like, new footage that pilots have seen, and they re released this in 2022, like, this 1,500-page report. And yeah. they've shown some of this stuff, and it looks like whatever it is, like, the propulsion is so much weirder than make sense. anything yeah. we've seen before. Yeah. So the question is like, is this putting it on a new footing, like the whole question, or is this just Roswell all over again? Is it the same shit? Well, my view is like everything that has momentum in life in a story, if there's no further development, if there's no you know new take, uh -huh. new experiment, uh -huh. then yeah, because you got to feed the beast. People need more. But do you think it's not? You think it's not worth looking into? No, no, I think it's no. Yeah, I would like right. the people who are capable of looking into and who are smart to well, figure it out. Yeah, right. Yeah. And tell me so I can freak out about it. Yes, I would like to know. <laughs> yeah, is it too speculative for serious thought? Like, because you're sort of suggesting, well, wait till the experts weigh in on this. But then the problem with some of this shit is it's so uh, it's so weird that either experts aren't drawn to it like scientists won't touch this with a 10-foot pole or the other theory is that the government is covering it up yeah that they're hiding shit yeah that and yeah, so yeah. no so i don't subscribe yeah. to this conspiracy so, so look to me you don't like, you don't think that there's you don't but why are they no, because because think because everything leaks okay there's that's, a secret like in my experience that's, yeah right 
Right. Like you can't keep anything secret in this country. You know, we, we once had a terrorist, the guy who blew, tried to blow up Times Square when it was in nobody's interest to leak his whereabouts. And as the FBI descended around the apartment that he, we thought he was in, in Connecticut, this is back in 2010, there was like news trucks were pulling up. Like who the fuck told them about that? <laughs> like the idea that something that sensational could actually be kept secret it's yeah. crazy to me. But as you're speaking, it makes me think of another thing. Maybe we can sure um, sort of anything you want to talk about. Taxonomize this a little bit. There are different kinds of mysteries, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you two examples. One mystery when I was growing up, nobody knew the answer to it. And now there's a pretty solidly accepted consensus. Like what killed like I, I believe when I was like 10 years old, nobody really knew for sure what killed the dinosaurs. Uh-huh. 40, you know, 43 years ago. And that was something that at the time, like, yeah, I don't know. It's a speculation. There's no Google. We don't have, you know, we have a time machine. <laughs> but scientists dutifully, while I was like, you know, listening to heavy metal. Really? <laughs> going to college. Oh, yeah, totally. Def Leppard. My, that was my bag. Def Leppard? Really? That was your, that was your, that Indian, was your. Yeah. And, and, but also Black Sabbath and, you know. Nice. Whatever Jersey boys listened to. Yes. That, to me, Def Leppard's not really. Def I know. That, but it was at the metal. time, at the time, at the time. Hair metal. That's hair metal. Yeah. I mean, I like the real metal stuff, too. So that's something that would not have been that was not that interesting to talk about in my view in 1978 because I'm not capable of analyzing it. But you know, over time, we now have a pretty good theory about it. I'll give you another example that I, don't, I still don't think we've solved. I still don't think we understand how the fuck they built the pyramids. No, we don't. And, and we, we could talk about that for a few minutes. <laughs> but then I kind of I get, I, so my our we went and saw Stonehenge a couple yeah. of years ago. It's not quite the pyramids. And the guy's talking about how big the, the rocks are. And he's like, well, here's some speculation. They didn't have pulleys. And at the end of that, I'm like, I have, there's nothing more to say. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you figure out. it out, let me know. Yeah. And we, we can have an interesting conversation. About but you're drawn. That's how I feel about UFOs. But as a, but as an, but as a, as a man who deploys the law in things, you are oh. drawn to... Crying, you know, a crime must be solved. solvable, solvable problems, solvable things. Solvable problems. It's what I think my buddy was saying. He was saying, "Look, there are things we can solve or try to solve in this world. Why are you bothering with trying to solve that other shit? Like, what's the point to doing that?" Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell because the consequence <clears throat> of of a particular explanation of that event is radically sensational and cosmic. Like, if, if it turns out. Let's say 90%, it's an optical illusion, <clears throat> or it's, you know, Ecuador has a secret space secret space program that we don't know about, which would be weird because no offense to Ecuador. <laughs> um, but if it turns out that these are things from another planet, well, that's that's earth-shattering. I mean, earth-shattering. It's, it's yeah, no, earth-shattering stuff. Because the consequence of a particular answer to the question would alter our understanding yeah, of everything. Of the universe forever. That's, so tell your That's friend, true. tell your friend he should spend more time paying attention to the UAP. <laughs> well, I wonder if he does now. I mean, it's been, it's yeah. been many it's, years. He has changed. You know, you, you said, Paul, we were talking about this the other day, and you said it's not, if it's supposed to be a distraction technique by the government while other shit happens, it's not working because people it's aren't not working. Well, yeah. Thing. <laughs> Yesterday, my 80-year-old mother came to me and said, my friend, who's also an 80-year-old woman, sent me a video of a, of a uh, UFO outside her backyard in the upper peninsula, you know, in Michigan. 
So apparently it is seeping out into. So just, it's clearly. Uh, yeah, it is. Which is interesting. I I don't know. I mean, when I wonder. We kids, I think we're all around in this. In this yeah, same we are pretty much. Neighborhood. Just, yeah. When I was a kid, we talked about UFOs all the time. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's when um, Close Encounters with the Third Kind. Of the sure. Third yeah. Kind all of that stuff. I remember constantly talking about UFOs yeah. when I was a kid. Well, that's interesting, too, because it's like, is that because there was, I mean, everybody says the 70s was this age of paranoia with Watergate and all that kind of stuff. Was it something? I'm serious. I don't know. Was I it, don't know. I, you know, I haven't more, thought about because it. Because then so all of a sudden it's not in the moment. zeitgeist. Yeah. It's not so much in the zeitgeist in the same way anymore. People don't talk about it in the same way But anymore. there were these other mysteries we talked <clears> about, some of which I must be, like, I remember when I was a kid, we talked about the Loch Ness Monster. Sure. Leonard Nimoy. Bigfoot. Yeah. Sure. And UFOs. Absolutely. My kids don't talk about that stuff. No. And why is it not the same? What? But that's interesting they, to me. Because because they have evolved. <laughs> <laughs> In one generation. Is it, do you think it's many leaps and bounds? Genuinely, do you think it's because they're smarter and they don't buy that bullshit? What do you think, Once Stephen? Again, I've think not thought cool. about it until this moment, but no, I, I have never heard them gossip about crazy shit like that. But we... We were obsessed with that stuff and pop rocks, also pop no, rocks. Pop rock. Well, also if you had if you had pop rocks in your mouth and you drank a seven up, your head would blow off. <laughs> but but this is but this is interesting. This is clearly going to be a issue for boomers. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Always wanted to say that. Oh my stars, Steve! My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Chinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. <laughs> Do not panic. We will be recording live Chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes, in L.A., we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty so get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm, and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. <laughs> Come out of hiding. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. Now listen, this is actually, this is interesting because I was saying to somebody the other day, I was saying to my kid in the seventies, we were obsessed with all, I was, I remember being obsessed with dogs having rabies. We were always fucking talking about rabies. You're going to well, get you bitten by a rabbit dog. Now, am I imagining that? Or actually, I was like, you, I, I never had, do you ever, do you ever have rabies? Any of you? I haven't actually I had rabies. The thing that was crazy to me was they would say, you have to get 25 shots in your stomach. In the stomach. 
And I couldn't, there was no Google, so I don't know if that was true or not, but I believe that. I think it is true. I think it is true. I think you have to get a whole like uh, program of shots right in the fucking abdomen if you get bitten by a rabid dog. But, but I just remember- I was skinny that, then. That would have been more painful. Now that I have a you know, dad bod, it would be less. I think these things have like, uh, they had a, con the conduit of information was very, it's the monoculture. We all watched yeah. the same shows. We heard the same yeah. radio shows. Now the kids have uh -huh. like, a thousand and one they're getting memes constantly and they believe really wacky shit but it's not there's no it's demographic different. yeah it's a different kind of wacky shit you know what else my kids don't do that i did well that proves the point we're they don't collect stamps i was just thinking this that's so fucking my weird that you say that fucking wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute i was just posted stamps. wait a second wait a second wait a second what wait kind a of second. intelligent people do oh, you're that? blowing my fucking mind wait a minute <laughs> i just was i'm on instagram i'm incognito i don't want anybody to know who the fuck i am but the other day i was like you know what i'm gonna go see if there's any philately guys philately <laughs> if there's any philatelists right. does that mean having sex so i and you know what? There's a whole fucking universe of guys who are still out there fucking collecting stamps. They're out there still. But why the they're fuck? They're not the average person. No, when they're definitely up, like the average kid. Right. Not young. Right. right. You have an iPhone. You know, you'd find a matchbook and then the back of the matchbook would be right. And look, and there's no Internet. You didn't go to like a WW yeah. URL. Yeah. I would write a letter. Yeah. To some so, company. Yeah. With a check for like four dollars, <laughs> yes, and then I would get stamps, three hundred and fifty stamps from Brunei stamps. and Burundi. Back. Yeah, the, what you're saying is, without the internet, it was more like an oral culture. It was more like word of mouth was how things happen, and you would literally get so stamps were in your face because you got letters all the time and stuff yes. like that. But I don't think people have the same like the urban legend kind of thing of like, oh, you know, the guy with Why? the hooked hand is in the back of my car Why? and. And his right. hooked hand is hanging off the door right, right. the door of the car. So people could believe crazy shit back then. And what it sounds like you're saying is one thesis would be, well, today that doesn't fly because you can just Google it. However, in the age of Google, yeah. as we speak, there we have fellow citizens standing in a field waiting for JFK Jr. to reappear yeah. and run as the as the running mate to Donald Trump. Yeah. They have Google. You can Google that. <laughs> and actually Google's the sure. problem in this instance. <laughs> actually, then Google becomes yeah, it's Google like there's the it's like there's too there wasn't there wasn't enough information at one time. Now there's too much. Well, I don't want to get all uh enlightenment on you guys, but that's what Hume says. David Hume says <laughs> yes. a little bit Brit Hume is, is any relation to Brit Hume? <laughs> Hume says like a little bit of skepticism is good, but then too much skepticism uh turns you towards conspiracy theories. And he says this in the 1740s. Oh so really? He, yeah, it's it's interesting. He says, and you apply it now to people who believe that lizards are flying the UFOs or whatever. Um is there a sense in which, like, this is the new folklore? Because I know Jacques Vallée is this guy, and even Carl Jung thought, well, UFOs, it's kind of a folklore thing. Yeah. It's tied to these older traditions. And it is, I it's think kind it of is. Harmless. Like, it's harmless, though, right? I think it is a little bit harmless. The UFO well, is harmless. It is until everybody's waiting in a field for, well, yeah. by the way, by the way, it's not JFK Jr. this time. It's now JFK. It's, JFK. it's JFK. just JFK. It is 105. If, I mean, I used to think conspiracies they were fun. Now this is funny and kind of fun, and it's not harmful. But I mean, now now people are are it's ruining people's lives. 
who believe in it and who don't believe in it. And it's causing people to do crazy things. And, you know, so it's like now There's it is too much information, right? <clears throat> There's too that's much what I think. Yeah. But, but I mean, how, how is it really ruining their lives? Because like, if I, if you talk to the guy uh, who designed the creation museum, I interviewed this guy, Ken Ham, we would, we would write this guy off as a kook, but in his world, his beliefs are getting him like, all kinds of adulation and social status and dates. And so it's for him, it's like it, it is enhancing his life among the circle of people that he deals because with. There's someone like there's someone for everyone. Right. And if you have if you're bold and you have <clears throat> you have a big personality and you and you um, you're convincing about it and you own it. There's some set of subset of people who will go for like, you know, well, I'm, but now it's easier to find those cannibalism. They're a cannibalism. Oh, yeah. They're a can oh, yeah. I, I used to, I used to, there's a phrase and I kept, I keep meaning to look up where it is from. And I swear, <clears throat> I think I found it in a Vonnegut novel many years ago. And when someone, you know, is alarmed and shocked by some weird human behavior, like my mom would be, I remember one time my mom who's a very sweet, super caring person. She got very upset when she heard about violence of a, of a mother towards their children. There's that crazy uh -huh. case where a mother, you know, drowned her kids. Right. It's like, I don't believe that could happen. Like, I, I almost, it's almost like thought that that was fake news. Uh -huh. And I, I didn't say to my mother, because I don't talk like this in my, in my house when I was a younger person. <laughs> but there are people who fuck chickens. Yeah. Yeah. And to, I think that's a yeah. profound statement. In a world in which there are, and this is true. Yeah. In a world in which there are people so every time someone says it's crazy, why would you do this? There are I always want to respond. There are people <laughs> with fuck chickens. Chicken fuckers. You're absolutely right. But you know what's interesting is that one time, if you fucked chickens, you were kind of you were on your own, and you probably didn't know a lot of other people that fucked chickens. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, you were fucking the chicken. Now you can. You were the only yeah. guy fucking the chicken, as yeah. far as you knew, and then you lived with the shame. You lived with all the all the problems of fucking chickens. Now. Now, if you fuck chickens, you can have a whole, there's an organization for you yeah. and you're going to be able to stand up and say, I fuck chickens. And then here's all my buddies and we all fuck chickens. Or don't you shame know? for it. I think I got oh, this Which is interesting I because I think that is good. Like you're saying, Stephen, that is good for people who fuck chickens. That's great. We all fuck chickens. I just want to say fuck chickens as many times as possible. That's all. That I want to do, but I we all fuck chickens, and that's great. Now we all have a community. But then on the other hand, it's like we all have a community, and we all want to, you know, blow shit up and kill people. Then it's not good. It's, yeah, are people stupider than they used to be, or are they just as stupid? But they all have a platform <clears throat> now. I, if you have a I wonder mean, about I, that, just as ideological as they used to be. My students, because uh, I teach a lot of people that are like twenty years old, and every semester I meet the new generation, or you know, every few years the new group, and they're uh, they think they're much smarter. They think they have a high degree of scientific literacy, and I think the media reports them as being very scientifically literate because they know about climate change. Mm -hmm. But if you push on it just a little bit, you realize <laughs> that it's just very thin yeah. stuff, and they yeah. are willing to believe in almost anything if you just cue it, right. you just tee it up. So talking about as a co you know, so you're talking about people who are in college, yeah. And there's this great debate in this country about forgiving student debt, and I had. Um, you know, a fellow philosopher who I studied with in college, Michael Sandel. Oh, yeah. On my podcast a couple of times. And I took that famous class called Justice with him years ago. And even though he's an elite person, however you define that term, 
and is a tenured professor at Harvard University, he talks about the valorization of college. And most people in America don't go to college. Most people in the world don't go to college. And most people in America don't go to college. So this... this, this that there's little, a... Yeah, there's, there's an emphasis a, we place, and Paul went to, you know, some fancy college too. Take you know, it easy. So did you. You said take it easy. So did you. You went to the other, you know, one of the other ones. All right, steady. Steady on. But we it's spent easy. all this time talking about college. Are those people less susceptible to conspiracy theories or, or not? I, I've never seen any studies on this. The college educated or not? Yeah. Are, are, yeah. are they any more so? Yeah. Yeah. But like the biggest gap between Trump, right? I think maybe other than than black voters, the biggest gap the, the, uh, between a Biden voter and a Trump voter or a Trump voter is, and a Hillary voter is a college or not. College education. So are they less susceptible to a certain kind of conspiratorial thinking? Probably yes. But, yes, you know, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. Is that true? I don't I, know. I that's right. A certain style of conspiratorial thinking they're going to be uh, opposed to, but it's not because their rationality is better or their scientific literacy is better. It's, I think it's, it aligns along political ideological, you know, fault lines. What you're willing to believe somehow, because I mean, the educated, the educated, you know, Trumpy conspiracy guys, do they not really believe that shit or do they actually believe it? I mean, is it cynical that they're just both? Oh, I think there are two categories. I think there are people who do. Some of those guys, some of the kind of highly the guys educated. in the field waiting for one of the Kennedys. Yes. Pick a Kennedy. Right? <laughs> it's going to be Edward. He's going to be the one who shows up. Teddy Kennedy is going to be the one who shows up. And they're all going to be like, you got to be kidding me. Not Teddy that, Kennedy. Not that one. Wasn't there a band? It's just coming. The Dead Kennedys. There, the Dead Kennedys. The Dead, yeah, the Dead Kennedys. Did that start this whole thing? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I wonder what they have to say about this. I think I know that that guy's a very outspoken I don't think the conservatives listen to the dead Kennedys, but I could be wrong. I could be I mean, wrong. It could be wrong. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Um, sorry, but you, it's two categories you were saying. Oh, no. so I think there are people who like believe crazy shit, like the people who think that Hillary Clinton is running, you know, a child rape ring. Yeah. And then there are other people, some of whom are famous senators, who absolutely know better. And they yeah. can say the dumbest shit yeah. that you can imagine. Yeah. Because they know it works. I mean, one thing I've been thinking about lately is forget about conspiracy theories, but just pure statements of, of, of argumentation that are just not logical at all. Like, Look at COVID, for example, right? Mm -hmm. How many people respond on social media when someone like me or, or someone else who, who had gotten all the vaccinations <clears throat> gets COVID and all these people respond, well, it turns out that the vaccine was useless. Well, it fucking wasn't useless. <laughs> it wasn't useless at all. I, I, I'm alive. Right. I go to the hospital. And like a gigantic percentage of people who had had the vaccine and got COVID didn't, didn't go to the hospital in the same way that you can still die in a car if you wear a seatbelt, but most people wear seatbelts do fine. Yeah, don't die. Yeah. That's not even ideological. That's just yeah. basic fucking one plus one equals two. <clears throat> yeah, well. People get away with it. And, and it used to be that stupid, you know, unpowerful people would make those arguments in a bar somewhere. And now they're, they're statewide elected officials. Friends, now a message from our sponsor. I was wondering, because pre, you spend a lot of time, you know, as a lawyer dealing with uh, issues of like, reasonable doubt and things like this. And it's what you just brought up now, which is, you know, are there any lessons you learned 
Because I think when you really are arguing cases, like philosophy and the law, there's a lot of parallel because of the argumentation. And a lot of times you see, well, rationality is not the clean slam dunk that we're, we're told it is. It's messy and all fucked up. And I'm just wondering, do you have any lessons from your experience in the law when you apply it to think paranormal yeah. things like UFOs and other other conspiracy things? Where it's not clear that it's not a, it's not a clearly open and shut math two plus two equals four thing. Look, there there are um, there are three possible outcomes in a trial, right? There's a determination of liability or guilt in a criminal trial, the determination of no liability or an acquittal, not guilty in a criminal trial, and the third possibility is a hung jury, like people just can't agree and decide. And I think if you if you use the analogy of of a courtroom. There's some things about which there's just not certainty. For a while, that was true about how the dinosaurs died. For some time, that was probably true about climate change. Uh -huh. Those things now, to continue the analogy, to a civil trial, I think the preponderance of evidence, more than a preponderance, mere preponderance is 51%, is that the, you know, there is a consensus uh, explanation for those things, but the UFOs remain in that, I think, evasive category of who knows? Jurors. Who knows? You know, but I, you know, but what I don't like is, you know, people who dismiss those things because they think it's in the same category of like Kennedy coming back to life. Well, yeah, yeah. It's not that. It's a different category of thing. And I'll tell you another thing. Maybe it is, which is not necessarily rational. You know, there's a little bit of a hopefulness, so long as they're not malicious. It would be actually, you know what? It would make my day if there were some consensus proof that that motherfucker came from another system. That those, that those, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of like want that to be, I don't, as long as they're not like drones that are doing advanced, you know, yeah. Ad, yeah. you know, advanced work to try to kill us all. But how great would that be? Uh, it would be amazing as long as they're not, as you say, it would be, it would be, hopefully, it would actually be. It would be a paradigm shift. Shit would change like profoundly. Can I mention a Hollywood conspiracy theory, and I think Stephen alluded to this earlier. Sure. Why is it the case? And I haven't done a complete survey, but I've been noticing this. Why are the aliens always reptilian? Well, now they are. That's what what's interesting. Is they didn't used to be. What did they, they used to be? They used to. Well, first they were little green men. Then they were the oh, little yeah. gray guys. <laughs> no, but that's what. But then they were the gray guys with the crazy almond-shaped eyes. They were the like. That thing. to me is that's crazier than you know the a reptile UFO. guy. That's because crazier than. It makes no sense to me. I was what was I watching recently? Like there's District Nine, and then there's the there's the uh, that thing, the quiet the quiet like the uh, oh a, a quiet place or whatever quiet place. They don't have mobile. They don't have opposable thumbs. Yeah. It just seems weird. They're they're so awkward. Oh, those little gray guys had no opposable the thumbs. Gray guy. I just feel like in a lot of these movies, they don't make. They don't sense. have dicks. They don't have. They don't. They don't make. Like, yeah. why would that be the way that you evolve? Well, but that. I mean, but that's the thing. What I was going to say is, it's different now, and it changes. Yeah. It, it changes. So it's like it's it's clearly it's determined by. It's called, well, it could be. Who the fuck yeah. knows what it's going to be yeah. next? Because it does change as people's brains are changing and as the perception of things is changing. For some reason, a lizard guy makes more sense now than a fucking little gray guy with weird well, shaped eyes. Also, but it, but, I'm sorry, Paul, but I think now also people are, astrobiologists are looking at octopuses 
and saying that shit, those things are so radically different in terms of their body plan. They don't have digits or nothing like they're not quadrupeds. But now we know they're so smart. They are, right? They actually be a better model for it, you know, for, uh, for what a for what a, a an alien could actually be like. Yeah, so yeah, but she, I'm always like, but this is like the thing I was saying to you, Stephen. Sorry about like artificial intelligence. Like, it, we don't even know what the hell when artificial intelligence really starts becoming its own conscious entity. We don't even know what the fuck that's going to look like. And I kind of feel like, I mean, aliens could be here already. We just don't even know what the fuck they look like. I mean, they could just be something we can't even identify. I mean, those fucking ships themselves could be the aliens themselves. I mean, it's like, who the fuck knows? It's going to be something we don't even know what the hell it is. It would be, I would like that. I would like it to be something we can't even fucking tell what it is. Cause that'll really fuck like it to be, Cause that would be, it would, because I would like to see that covered on cable news and see the latest fucking Trump <laughs> thing. So would I. Amen. It's something yeah. larger than it's something larger than our mundane shit that we deal with every day. Since I was a kid. That's yeah. Look, like you know, I think it's true still that the greatest consumers of science fiction are ch- are kids. Yeah. Obviously, many adults as well. And but I stopped reading science fiction because I just stopped. Did you? I read every Isaac Asimov story and book. The best. So uh, good. Subscribe. You know, I had like subscriptions to science fiction. Do you remember um, Omni magazine? Do you remember Omni? remember Omni? And there's also something called Analog. Uh-huh. It's weird. Yeah, no, I remember it. It should have been called digital. Analog. That's true, actually. I never thought. But I think it's also like if you believe in this idea, maybe Stephen, this is like a myth that we have. Children have more imagination and yeah. more sense of wonder. And like to believe that these things are possible. I mean, I, I loved thinking about alternative dimensions and time travel and all this. And you stop. You become an adult. Mm-hmm. And then you, you think about the rule against perpetuities in law school and it kills you. <laughs> this whole conversation is upsetting me very much. It kills you inside? You're dead inside? Is that you die inside. I didn't know how much. I actually died during this conversation. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm hoping this show will be. It'll be soul crushing and life destroying for people who tune in. Is that I'm really hoping that that's what it will be. I love to hear that you were a science fiction reader and that you were listening to heavy metal. It doesn't surprise me. Science fiction. That doesn't surprise me. But I was so bad at science that my stories made like made no scientific. I think too. You actually wrote science fiction. I wrote. I wrote short stories when I was a kid. Do you still have any of these stories? I don't. Oh, my parents may have them. You're not getting them. I don't. I see where you're going with this. Really? You're not going to just hand me the the shit that you wrote. One of the, I, saw, I, I remember one of the plots. Because uh-huh. oh, science fiction can can be fantastical. Yeah. But it has to have some like reasonable basis, even if fantastical. Yeah. And I, I wrote this story about a boy who discovers who discovers some strange flower or plant in a field that's unlike any other flower or plant. <laughs> and it actually sounds kind of magical now. Maybe it's like, a, yeah. it, you know, it sounds like it's um, an allegory, but it wasn't. I was like nine. <laughs> and, this, and, and the reason why the, the plant was different was there was, there was like a shaft of air from Mars <laughs> to this field on Earth. There's this narrow little shaft that oh. was in some way causing this plant or flower to grow in a particular way. Now, so a Martian. The plaus- yeah. The plausibility Martian, uh-huh. of a thing that went like tens of millions of miles, hundreds of millions of miles 
from the red planet. Obviously, that makes no sense at all, <laughs> which is why it was never published, I, I dare say. Um, so it's a Martian flower blooms on Earth. Yeah, and how lame is that? That, it just, that, that was... No, I think that's great. There it's were no aliens, there's no fighting. I think it's great. It's very pastoral. And then it's, law school crushed the imagination. <laughs> of you as, yeah, totally. Law school, just like an iron boot, oh, just yeah. stamps on the Martian flower. And I, I think you should write a memoir called A Martian Flower Blues <laughs> on That should be your... That should be your... in Brooklyn. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Martian flower. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I think you, know, you should, Stephen... I don't know if you work with lawyers. I think there's a, there's a role for greater imagination yeah. in, le- in legal practice. And you probably no, make I mean, it dough. It's hard to like uh, think, I mean, I know that the general tendency is to find like, gui- like sentences, sentencing guidelines or rules. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of judgment that happens in the law that's, yeah. that's in this other domain. It's not the application of a general law or a principle or a rule. It's more like what, what the Greeks called phronesis, like practical wisdom, like you get a sense of it, you know, and then you, you push it in that direction or whatever. But I, I, it's hard to like, I don't know how you can't codify that into a system that could be spread across, you know, a nation state or something. That was very profound. I know. It's no, I think that's all right. You know, I think, I think even so, so people make the following point about creativity, right? If you have no rules at all, and a poem can take any form and rhyme or not rhyme. Um, uh, you know, be an iambic pentameter or not. It's very hard, according to some people, to be creative. If you, uh-huh. if you, if you impose some rules and you say, uh-huh. it has to be a sonnet with this particular rhyming uh-huh. scheme or a limerick, um, within yeah. certain bounds, it's easier to be creative because you have to figure out how to be creative within those bands. Does that make any sense? I yeah, totally. A long time ago. Like a script for Paul, right? Yeah, right. right? Like, I, yeah, because improvising is harder for me than like to have not have those guardrails is, is harder for me. But isn't the point, but isn't the law all about just being boundaries? I mean, it's not. Yes, but, it, I, but I view the law, this, this is, I'm just making this up, but I hope it's oh. really fucking profound. <laughs> the law is like a sonnet. Oh boy, that's another mem. The second volume of the memoir. The law is like a sonnet. Shall I compare thee to a to a summer's day? The law is like a sonnet insofar as there are these parameters, right? You have to follow a certain rhyming scheme and a certain number of lines and a certain number of syllables. But within that, you have the ability to be very creative, right? Uh So you have the Rico statute. That's your that's your sonnet. But can you use it to go after business people, not just the mafia? Can you use the Ku Klux Klan Act that was meant to go after the Ku Klux Klan and use it to file a lawsuit? Yeah, that's creative. Members of Congress, right, related to the insurrection. <laughs> yeah, but you can't you can't have a system of law where it's like, I decree that thee yeah. pay me your bride. Like you, you can't yeah. make stuff up. If you were wearing green underwear, let's say you know it's like, but but and then what happens too is that you can actually change the shape of the law by doing this stuff too, right? I mean, you can get new precedents set up and. You can begin to move the boundaries around, and that's like a creative act, I guess. Yeah, 100%. And you can also be creative in how you make the argument in court. Um, you know, I, I write this in my book. Like, one of my favorite closing arguments was we, we brought a case against the uh, state assembly speaker, Sheldon Silver, who was a corrupt guy who's now passed. Did he pass uh, up? I didn't even know that. I, I remember. I don't act like you're sad about that. 
I wasn't acting sad. <laughs> Corrupt guy. I, I, you and couldn't read my justice for a long period of time. I don't miss, you know. Okay. Um, and and then we also charged the uh, the majority leader of the of the state senate, who is a Republican, Dean Skelos. And the prosecutor came to me when we were vetting this <clears throat> the summation, and one of the defenses was, well, he never really explicitly asked for the job for his kid, right? He would have a meeting with donors. And then suddenly his kid would have a no-show job, right? So that was the quid pro quo. Um, I'll do this thing for you. I'll pass this legislation you like and make sure that my, my boy gets a job. And to respond to that argument, you know, which was making some headway, he brings in uh, a Shel Silverstein book of poems. And he's like, I'm going to read, I'm going to quote from this poem. And I look at him, I'm like, we don't do fucking poetry. You're a federal <laughs> prosecutor. What are you talking about poetry? fucking loser. Um, so he shows it to me, the quote, and it's called, I don't have, I wish I had it in front of me, and it's called yeah. The Gorilla. And it's a poem, it's a great poem by Shel Silverstein in which a young kid describes how he got a pet gorilla. And he goes to school and suddenly he's got a pet gorilla. He's getting A's in school. The bullies stop bullying him. Uh -huh. uh, some of the kids are sharing, their, they're giving him his lunch. He never asked for any of that. It's like, it's so weird. I bring my gorilla to school and I'm getting A's and everyone's nice to me and whatever, whatever. And you kind of see where, he's, and he's like, and he says, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Dean Skelos's political power it's genius. was the gorilla. Wow. That's the gorilla, right? He didn't have to ask. He had a meeting with his donors and he said, yeah, I'll do this stuff for you. Oh, by the way, my son's looking for a job. He didn't say, give my son a job. <laughs> my son's looking for a job. That's the gorilla, <laughs> which is brilliant. That's brilliant. And that's the really point of that is like that's that he was using this. He was using the law as a sonnet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most yeah. people don't make arguments like that because they they're too boring. They're too worried that it's going to look. They, they, I mean, you know, well, you don't want to come off as hot dogging either, do you? I mean, it's, it's all like, in the execution, right? It's like anything. Like it's yeah. like, you know, it's a little bit like your business. Yes. I'm always fascinated, and this is something that I always wonder about too: is how much do any of those guys do they take acting classes ever? Do, do the lawyers ever do that? Do they try to get people? I mean, they must be people who come in and help lawyers be more expert in presenting and and presenting I themselves. I think some back. do. You know, I hired in my time, I hired two child actors, you know, people who had been actors and went to law school and stopped acting, who were quite good, and I'm sure it was part of that was part of the reason. Really. Yeah, that's classic. And they were better at it. They were better. I think at it. they were because they know how to they know how to connect. But then you worry about being too slick, and then the, no, uh, you can't I, be too slick. Can't and you don't want to be Ethley Bailey, and then you become like you become too slick. You know what I mean? Because then yeah, you, you got to be yourself. Yeah, not right. something that actors ever get told. Right? It's a weird. Yes, but do it, but but you do get told that actually more increasingly as actors. Just how do you dial it down, Paul? Like, if somebody does, somebody say to you you're too slick. What do you? How do you? No, I mean that's so. <laughs> but I did have a guy one time. I came in for a thing. I'd been hired for a job. I came in with a whole thing. I was playing. It was a period movie. I was playing a character, and I came in and I I was doing this stuff. And the guy was like, you know, just be yourself. And I was like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? It's actually the worst thing you can say to, an actor, <laughs> to a lot of actors because you're like, I don't 
I'm an actor because I don't want to be myself, asshole. And it's also like, I don't know what that means either. The I only know. person who gets told that is Christopher Walken. Just do that thing. <laughs> I don't think he needs to. I have had people, I had a guy say to me one time, just do more of that Paul Giamatti stuff. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Like, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> but you are very versatile. Like, I guess I hope non, so. Non-versatile actors. Maybe it's like, be your, I guess. I Elvis guess. probably was told, be yourself. Yeah, but there's some core sense of who you are, I think. That, there is something that, that... That's right. And I think that that's right. And I think that, and essentially, they're saying, like, don't go too far afield and do something. I mean, there's some actors who can. I mean, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis can really transform and he's allowed but also it's a, he's been smart about the way he's created a kind of mystique around himself and stuff like that but he's allowed to transform more than some people the audience won't accept it sometimes if it's too much and stuff and, and, can i ask you a question we yeah can, sure we can end any time i don't want to waste an any, i don't want to waste my, any more of your time Pri. i think my mom would enjoy the show but she's not allowed to see it because of the the chicken, chicken, the chicken, the chicken fucking thing. Good, good. I'm really happy. I'm really, there's insights into you that I didn't expect to get, and I'm really happy to have gotten them. Um, all right, on that note. <laughs> all right. See you, folks. Okay, take See you around. Care. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Thanks for joining us on Chinwag. And of course, if you like what we're doing, and even if you don't, especially if you don't, you know, I like a little lively debate. I'd like to get into it with you people. How about you write to us? Because <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. Post all your burning questions in the comments. If you have a topic you want us to cover and it's strange enough, then maybe we'll talk about it here on this very podcast. And please make sure you rate us and leave a review and then share us with your friends. Why not? Ha 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 ha! Chinwag is a production of Treefort Media and Touchy Feely Films, hosted and executive produced by Paul Giamatti and Stephen Asma. Executive producers for Treefort are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Dan Carey is executive producer for Touchy Feely. Our series producer is Rachel Whitley Bernstein. Our associate producer is Andrew Miller. Original theme music by Luke Topp, with additional music by Via Mardot. Oscar Guido is our executive in charge of production. Tom Monahan is head of audio for Treefort. Animation created by Alex Sokol. Audio production, supervision, and editing by Maxwell Carney. Additional audio assistance and mixing by Jeff Neal. Video editing by Brian Barcheski. With additional production management from Renee Levesque. Lastly, for more information, go to chinwagpod.fm. And find us on Instagram or TikTok at chinwagpod or on Twitter at chinwag underscore pod.